Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Nice. 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 Inspire your team to grow up, get along, and get stuff done. You might have seen her articles in the Harvard Business Review. Um, I also recommend that you check out her latest book, The Good Fight. You can find it in all those normal places. Leanne and I spoke about raising empathetic kids, finding balance as introverts, extroverts, and ambiverts, nice versus kind, conflict debt, friction in teams, and much more. And be sure to listen for her tent analogy. It's brilliant. Now, a few quick notes before we jump into the interview. First, I recorded this in January and was learning this software, and I made a big mistake. I accidentally recorded my sound from my computer microphone and not the microphone microphone. So, of course, that's going to make me sound kind of crappy, and I apologize for that. But trust me, Leanne's well worth listening to, and her microphone sounded great. The other thing I'd like to mention is I would really appreciate it if you visited friend.nicepodcast.co or just click the link in the uh, description on this episode, and you can share some feedback about who you are, what you do, and that kind of thing in our little survey, and that's going to help me make the show better. I'll even promise to use my actual microphone next time. So with that, I'm going to share our interview now. Thanks for being here. First of all, I want to say welcome and thank you again for agreeing to to come on the podcast. I've been really excited to speak with you since our uh, hanging out on the subway not that long ago, it seems. <laughs> I know, that was so cool. <laughs> that was awesome. So yeah, for, cool. for nice makers listening, yeah, Le- uh, Leanne and I are both uh, speakers. We uh, We both... Uh, we're going to a speaking event in Toronto, uh, my home and native land and, and your your home. And uh, yeah, we ran into each other on the subway on the way to this event. <laughs> like how Having never met each other in person. It that's was right. We recognized each other from, from 
from social media, which is crazy. <laughs> yes, yes. It, I love it when social media actually works, when there, it actually brings the social, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and when we were on the subway, uh, we talked the whole way that, down to the event, which is a, was a good number of stops. <laughs> and uh, we spoke a lot about uh, travel and and how uh travel is so important to us and and our respective <laughs> families and things um obviously these days uh not so much or are still important but we're not obviously traveling right now uh tell me a little bit about how that's been going for you and sort of why travel is important for you and your family <laughs> So travel is really central and important to our family. It's um, it started five years ago, or probably more than five years ago now, when uh, my husband and I both quit our jobs to start our little consulting firm that we have, and our elder daughter was just finishing up grade eight and starting high school, and we we just really had this moment of realizing that we only had four more years as a family of four and we better do something with it. So we quit our jobs so we could be more focused on what we wanted to and started our own firm. And from the get-go, one of the decisions we made is that we would take a sabbatical every August for the entire month of August, and we would do a continent a year with, uh, with the kids. So we started with Europe thinking that was the good starter travel and did a month uh, in Europe. And the next year we did uh, New Zealand and Australia and Fiji. And then we did a, an Asian trip. And then um, the last trip was um, to South America, Argentina, Chile, Peru, and Brazil. Hmm. And you know, what we're trying to do with that is, first of all, travel as opposed to being tourists. So as much as possible, we're staying in Airbnbs, we're staying in places where we have to go to the grocery store, we have to navigate the public transportation system. And, and we're trying to create empathy in, you know, we're trying to raise nice kids, kids mm. who um, understand their privilege, kids who um, see through travel, both uh, the things they have so much in common with people around the world and the ways in which their lives are so different from others. And, um, and then also just to have time together. Uh, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. It's just been the best gift. And I think our kids are more worldly, more connected. And, and so when things happen in the world, they have a context to understand it through. And it's not perfect by any stretch. You know, traveling yeah. as a wealthy white family does not exactly help you understand famine in Africa. But right. uh, but at least uh, at least a little more so than going to all-inclusive five-star resorts in the Caribbean, which doesn't give you much of a sense of anything. So it's just been really important to us. And then, of course, COVID happens, and there are many trips that we have missed. Um, but uh, in some ways, the stark contrast and the absence of something like that is just as useful, right? Because you doing without is good for us and changing it up and learning how to be agile and create uh, fun experiences that don't require travel has been a good learning just as much of a good learning this year as um, as travel has so yeah it's been such an interesting time to reflect on yeah. the meaning of of travel in our world and what and what are some ways that you have been uh maybe well i guess replacing travel you know what, what are some ways that you've been uh are you are you homeschooling your kids? Or are they at 
what's yeah. the status for you right now? <laughs> yeah, so the status in Toronto at the moment, so I have uh, one in first year university at McGill. Mm-hmm. And so she's, um, she's home at the moment, still hasn't gone back after, um, you know, they're in a big lockdown there in, yeah. <laughs> in Quebec at the moment. So yes. she's home at the moment, but she's been living in residence at, um, at school. Um, and the other is uh, in grade nine, and she's at high school. And so they've been toggling back and forth so they had a while where they were at school um mornings every other day so she's Mm -hmm. getting a bit but at the moment uh we're locked down and so um at the moment we have all four of us in the house it's a very small downtown toronto house to have four (laughs) people in but uh (laughs) but it's okay you know we we i think it's made all of us a bit more introverted um so we spend a lot of time in our own little spots in the very small house. But then when we have, you know, dinner together or there's something that captures our attention, it's um, it's all the nicer. Right? It's, uh, it's good. Do you consider yourself more introverted, extroverted? The world would think that I'm a flaming extrovert. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I seem to be. I, I love people. Um, I get a lot of energy from people. Over my life, I'm starting to realize that I am certainly an ambivert. Um, you know, you don't write three books and write a blog for many years and all those sorts of things if you aren't equally as motivated inside your head and in the world of ideas. And mm-hmm. I'm finding through, I've had a few big epiphanies over the last 10 months. Um, and one of them is that I adore people, but my strong preference is people one at a time. And if Mm. I can have a a long, luxurious walk or talk with one person, that's really my favorite thing. And as this whole Zoom cocktail party thing has been happening, um, it's just not my favorite version of myself. So, uh, you know, I'm certainly a people person. I get a lot of energy from people, but I think in a much less extroverted way than I might have thought about myself for many years. And uh and much more needing the balance of some time inside my head uh, as well. So that's been something that I was starting to figure out before, but um, but COVID has certainly made that very, very clear to me. That's something that hits home for me uh, uh, greatly, actually. I, I feel the similar sort of, sort of way um, and have always considered myself more of an extrovert um, Amber Bird, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've organized events and cocktail events and things like that where I need to be on. And I do enjoy that interaction with lots of people and speaking, you know, you're a great speaker. And so, you know, like being just attacked by the mob after after knocking out a <laughs> keynote, uh, it feels yeah. great. And then after you get back to your hotel room and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think what you said actually yeah, quite resonates with me. Um, you know, my wife identifies as, as definitely more of an introvert. She's a school teacher. She gets home, you know, on a normal time. She gets home. She's exhausted. I work from home. And so and my, and, and we have two teenagers who don't, you know, really want to know anything. You know, they don't want to talk to me ever again, or at least for another five maybe years or something. Yeah. Uh, man, for parents out there with younger kids, that. cherish oh, the no. time with, with them when they're little. Because, man, the teenagers. Um but so the big the big one for me has come out the other side yeah. and that's even better for me. So you know little kids are a lot of work and sometimes not 
you know, sometimes they're entertaining, but they're not interesting in the same way. Now that the almost 19 year old has kind of come back out the other side, that to me is the big payoff. Um, yes. So interesting. All some of, you know, things like the investment in that travel, I'm now seeing the benefits of that come out. So hang in there. Um, I get the <laughs> moody middle phase of the teen years, but um, I think the great reward is coming. Yeah, we're going to keep them, we think. <laughs> yeah, well, at this point, you know, major sun cost. Yeah, yeah, ma- yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> yeah, the thought of doing it again is really unappealing. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, too, though, because I've, I've gone through a period of, of feeling quite lonely. And I've been reading a lot and, and uh, uh, talked to a therapist a couple times. Um, and have another appointment. I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. and, and have explored sort of loneliness. I've read a great, uh, great podcast a while back from Brene Brown about about that and, and the fact that you can be surrounded by the people you love and still feel lonely and that's okay. Oh, yeah. Do, do you have and any intake so or thoughts about that? It's, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I relate to it, right? right. Um, yeah, and I think especially with teenagers, right? Because they can be right up in your face and driving you crazy on the one hand, but there can so often feel like there's no connection. They don't even see that you're there. They don't, it's really about meeting their needs and you just realize that they don't even understand or comprehend the fact that you have needs, which they are not meeting. (laughs) So um, that, that is deeply lonely sometimes. And, and it's really, um, it's really hard to come to terms with being lonely in a full house, but uh, it, it exists. Loneliness in a full house exists and in some ways is more profound and more um, dark than loneliness in an empty house, I think. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird. I, I was talking to someone the other day and I was, I was saying how the world has really turned where, where, um, you know, I, I wrote a lot and studied a lot about introverts because, you know, as a host of events, networking events and things, I want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. And I understand that as an introvert, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of, of setting a goal of, of going to an event for 20 minutes and speaking to one person. And then once you've done mm-hmm. that, you can leave and, and then maybe trying to increase that a little bit the next time you go to an event, but give yourself permission to leave after you've done like that small task, which may feel like a big task, depending on how, yeah. how you know you are on that level. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Do you feel that uh, organizational leaders, uh, companies are also feeling um, this loneliness now that they're not able to interact with their team members in, in a, you know, in person? It's interesting at the at the start of the pandemic, uh, I found it went the other way. All of a sudden, we were seeing people we'd worked with for many years, but we were seeing them in their homes, and there was this intimacy that came, this connection mm. that came from like, wow, or or you know the the big powerful male executive who all of a sudden his kid was hanging off his arm, you know, and I, all of a sudden I felt this you know, solidarity with him, like, oh, you too? Oh, you know. Um, And so I think at first there was this um, greater sense of connection of of seeing people and understanding people more holistically than we ever had before. And and that lasted a little while. And then we got into this um, efficiency mode of, okay, well, we've all got to figure this out and we've got to get back to work. And the um, Zoom calls or WebExes or whatever they were, became so much um, task oriented. And Mm. so now what I find is 
I'm not sure I would call it loneliness per se, but I think we just feel really disconnected from one another. We're each just trying to cope with massive workloads in very inefficient circumstances while homeschooling kids, while, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what's been lost is there's no casual connection. I find I'm, I'm constantly, when I'm doing sessions, I'm stopping and encouraging people to do things like, okay, we're going to take a break for 15 minutes, leave your camera on. And don't worry about muting your microphone. That's fine. But then, you know, when you get up, get up, go do whatever you have to do. But if you come back a few minutes early and your camera is on and somebody else has come back early, you may chat about, you know, did you watch Bridgerton or whatever else? (laughs) And um, every time I've done that, done either an icebreaker exercise, done little breakout rooms or had this sort of camera on during the break, people thank, that's what they thank me for at the end of the session. Thank you. I feel like we haven't just had that experience like when you are working in a room together and you, you know, people come into a room over about five minutes and they have a little bit of casual conversation before the meeting starts and on a break, you know, people can, some stay in the room, some go to the washroom. Yeah. And, and so I feel like we made some good progress at the beginning with this greater intimacy and everyone was just more comfortable saying, I'm so stressed. I, I like, I'm barely coping. And so we got this much better human connection for a phase. And then when we got back into this productivity mode, I think we've kind of gone the other, we've lost some of the progress and we've gone the other way. And and I, I mourn for that because I think we need to keep up some of that authenticity that we got at first. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a good, that's great feedback. And it's something that every, uh, you know, manager or leader of an organization should be considering in, in the Zoom calls that they have <laughs> or in these scheduled yeah. Yeah, is is saving some of that extra time uh, for for the the water cooler, the virtual water cooler yeah. conversations that uh, yeah. that are definitely missing. Yeah, and and when you put it in, it's just so nice. You just and it's not until you do it that you realize you've been missing it. You're like, oh, that was so nice. I hadn't heard how your holiday was, or who was so right that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think making sure you have that time in there. And there's something about the the video call format that just makes it feel very um, efficient and that we're supposed to be focused and we're supposed to be working. And we just know from the um, social etiquette of a meeting room that it's okay that we chat for a bit. As, you know, we don't, we don't have, we don't sit in silence in a meeting room waiting until everyone is there. And then as soon as everyone's there, we jive into the agenda, but that's what we do when we're in a zoom room. That's <laughs> true. And then we, and then we suspect, you know, who we wonder who's not wearing pants. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know, there's always I've someone. In, I've been in leggings for like 10 months. So my, my, yeah. my wife, I, Heather. I, yeah. Yeah. We, when we started, pod, we started podcasting in, in 05, we did a parenting podcast yeah. for three years back in the day. And uh, I, I'm quite certain we coined the term pantless podcasting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I just have found that, and I have like all manner of fancy tops. I can, you know, I can do that, that uh, COVID mullet thing really, really well, but uh, I have not been able to change out of the leggings or my fuzzy slippers. So um, I am even, it's funny. I have a studio set up downstairs for keynotes with the fancy camera and the ring lights and all of that. And even my fancy high-priced keynotes, I've still had the bunny slippers on um, uh, on the bottom. Thankfully, they aren't visible. But you know, now now your now your audience knows what's actually happening from the ankle down. <laughs> the secret sauce. Yeah, the, exactly. the lucky the lucky bunny slippers. Hey, I have a question. Exactly. So, what is the nicest thing that someone has done for you recently? 
it would be good if I had a ready answer to that, wouldn't it? No, no, no. Um, Take your time. Take your time. I always like to ask this. It's it's always interesting to hear the different the different answers. So, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate is we've been uh, bemoaning teenagers, but my fourteen year old a few times not just a few times, kind of regularly over COVID, every once in a while, we'll sort of wander down, see that I'm not, you know, on a call or something like that. And she'll say, do you want to just walk out to the cafe? And it was funny because over um, over our last break, yeah. she actually admitted that she's doing that for my mental health. <laughs> oh, wow. That. That I'm working too much and I need to get out of the house. So it's very deliberate on her part. And so she said, you know, I make it sound like I need to get out of the house, but really I'm, and so she's doing it for myself and for my husband and just finding little excuses. And so she actually admitted, she's like, it was very funny. I was killing myself laughing. She said, (laughs) you know, dad, last week when I said, could you take me to the drugstore because I needed shampoo? She's like, I didn't need shampoo. Did you look in the bottom drawer? I have a full shampoo in the bottom drawer. I just knew you needed out of the house. <laughs> and um, wow. So, but but here's a here's a sacrilegious thing on the the nice podcast, which is that um, my goals in my life are not to use nice as my guiding principle because mm. I find when I try and be nice, and and because I'm somebody who my primary work is around the importance of conflict. Yes. Um, I find if I think about nice, it sends me in a bad direction. I become quite passive. I only say things that are nice and that sort of thing. So the word I use is kind. So when you ask the question at first, I was thinking about what's what's something very kind that someone mm. has done for you recently. And as soon as I ask it of myself that way, I, I don't get my daughter Mac, you know, getting me out of the house, although that probably is kind as well. But I go to things that are, you know, what was something that someone did that was courageous, told me something I needed to hear. So I am um, I have one friend, her name is Tammy, and she's a brilliant speaker um, and leadership development guru and author, and she's amazing. And, you know, she's the one who recently, she gave me some feedback on a new online course that I'm working on. And, you know, it was so to the point, it was something I really needed to hear, not necessarily mm. something I wanted to hear. And she just, she nails kind um, because she just knows that this is something that I need to hear that most other people wouldn't tell me. Um, so that's kind of a fun provocation for your audience is, yeah. you know, asking not only what's something nice that someone has done, but I think there's this other valuable piece that if we push ourselves, yes, nice, but beyond nice to kind, sometimes we'll do the harder things that in the moment might not feel nice, but ultimately um, contribute and and build trust and, and really create very strong relationships. So the strongest relationships I have are probably not with people who've been nice to me. Um, They're, they're with people who've been kind to me in a more kind of profound way. That's, I know that's sacrilegious on the nice podcast. (laughs) No, no, it is, it it is helpful. And it is uh, something I've thought a lot about. I, I mean, for me, you know, Part, it's not about always being nice. It's it, like kindness, I believe, is part of being nice. But I think also mm-hmm. being nice to yourself means also being honest and, and sometimes hard on yeah. yourself in, yeah. in a positive way. Um, yeah. and, and giving that that nice 
feedback on your online course is nice because it's kind because it has that in there but also having some constructive criticism in there to make sure that you you know that's honest that that honest feedback so yeah but i i like i like where you're where you're going with that and i love the fact that mac took you for a drive that i think that yeah that's so good that's yeah so and yeah. and you're a psychologist right yeah, she has so, two psychologists for parents. Poor kid. Ah, uh, oh, so I didn't know your husband was a psychologist as oh, well. Oh, yeah, deadly. Oh my gosh, but that's amazing. I, I, so obviously, the uh, what's the line? The apple doesn't fall uh, far from the tree, right? I guess she's your future uh, family psychologist. Is that right? Well, it's really funny because um, the kids, I think, are both wired with real um intuition with really impressive psychological thinking and mm-hmm. and at least the first one um the apple might have might not have fallen far from the tree but she's trying to roll as fast as she can away from the tree so she's <laughs> she's, yeah. she's got all of the capability and the insight she's trying very hard not to be like her parents and and has you know insisted on not taking psych 100 in first year and things like that so she's trying very hard but i think both of them are quite skilled and maybe someday once they, you know, aren't trying to be so different from their parents, they'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And I, well, and I think, I think, you know, picking up and, 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 uh, and running with empathy in the sense that they, that, that travel that we began speaking mm-hmm. about. Right. I think, you know, for me personally, you know, my wife and I met, she's from the States, she's from Tennessee and we live in Nashville. And of course I'm from Toronto, but we met in Ireland backpacking. Oh, cool. And, and we lived in Ireland and Scotland and, and, uh, you know, we, we backpacked Italy, hitchhiking for three months, lived in a tent and, you know, we were, we're amazing. Yeah. So we've done a lot of that travel and part of, uh, you know, raising our kids in the States, um, and especially as a Canadian, uh, you know, yeah. I've, I mean, we're, it's not like we don't know what's going on south of the border. When we, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard not to hear from your noisy neighbor. Yeah. Um, but it, and, and part of that, I think part of the challenge here is that, you know, mass media is so obsessed with with the U.S. and, and maybe mm-hmm. more so these days and maybe with good reason. Yeah, we're probably with good yeah. reason these days. Um, yeah. But uh, and so I wanted to make sure that our kids learn about other places in the world and that they're yeah. aware of uh, not just aware, but that they actually go to other places. Right there. We yeah. our kids friends have never left Tennessee, many of them, or, or at least so never left know. the country, um, yep. not even to Canada yep. or, or to Mexico. I mean, when I tell people yeah. that it's a 12, 11, 12 hour drive from Toronto, uh, from Nashville to Toronto, they're they're flabbergasted. They're really? It's that close? Like I had no idea. It's just a twelve-hour drive. That's not that bad. Um, yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah. so you know that, and that was part of the thinking with with taking our kids and uh, and and teaching them about the world. And so you know, we've had the coolest uh, one. I don't know what your favorite. My favorite so far has been we went to Angkor Wat in Thailand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, sorry, in Cambodia. Okay. Um, and. This was the coolest one for me because, of course, we learn about civilization in Western civilization, right? Like the great civilizations were Greece and Rome. But so you go to Angkor Wat and you realize that a thousand years ago, Angkor Wat had a million people when London had 10,000. And 
the you learn the marvels and the engineering of Angkor Wat. And so the first lesson is like, oh, wow, there were very sophisticated people in places other than the West. And that is super important. But the other thing, if you think about the U.S. today, <laughs> that was really valuable is Cambodia now is so poor, so war-torn, landmines everywhere still in the ground. Mm. Um, and it's really good to show your kids that great civilizations are not a given and they're not eternal. And so don't you believe that this democracy that we have right now is a God-given right, that it's always going to be here, that, right, don't take this for granted. And so that was my favorite place I've been to teach a lesson that I think, like, literally today is is relevant. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. you know, I think because most of us have lived this sort of post-war period in North America, we just take our lifestyle for granted. We take democracy for granted. We take peace at least on our own soil for granted and you look at these places and you go oh yeah just so you know it's yeah. fragile and you know such an important lesson in 2021 definitely yeah i i had that realization um uh so during 9-11 um you know i'm in toronto and when 9-11 happened or was happening it wasn't really clear where something was going to happen next or if something was mm -hmm. going to happen next. And, and there were mm -hmm. certainly a few next that happened. And, mm -hmm. and in Canada, of course, when we were in Toronto, um, that would, you know, we weren't sure something might happen in Canada. Something might happen yep. really close to home. We all have friends in the States and so forth. So, you know, there was obviously everybody was, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, going, going crazy with it. Um, and my mom calls me about an hour or two after the last plane went down and it was clear that the attack was over. Like there was, that didn't, there wasn't going to be any, anything else. And my mom calls me and my mom's British and she's freaking out about it all. And, and with good reason, of course, but I'm like trying to calm her saying, mom, it's not happening here. It's not happening in Canada. It's not happening in Toronto. Like everything, it seems to be over, like calm down. You're acting kind of irrational because it's not going to happen here. Like it's over. And my mom says, Dave, I grew up during the Blitz. Yeah. And I was, and I was floored. I was like, oh gosh, I never even really thought about that. I, I guess I never knew that at some point. I never really put two and yeah. two together. Yeah, but she didn't was, think about it. Yeah. She was playing in the rubble of, you know, Nazis blowing up London. And yeah, uh, yeah so it was a real like wake up call for me that way. Of, yeah, of, exactly. It, it is not a given. It is just not a given. And we, we treat it as if it is, right? And it's not. Right. Um, so, you know, all of these things, I think, you know, we were in Argentina, the day we landed in Argentina was the day they devalued the currency by 25%. And mm. so we were there for four days. And the final day, um, the protesters took to the streets, tens of thousands of protesters, and we're in a cab going to the airport with the kids. And it was just great to be able to talk about what is currency and, and money isn't real and money can, you know, change. And so what you could have afforded at the grocery store yesterday is now 25% different today and could be, you know, much different again tomorrow. And like just all these things that, you know, trying my, and of course the problem is I, I'm trying to understand it because I'm so ignorant and naive. I'm trying to be an hour ahead of what I tell the kids, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, uh, so, so, so important. And then, 
it just provides great context when you come. So my work is primarily working with executive teams and top leaders and yeah. trying to create empathy in them. And, um, and so it provides great context for that work when you um, see some of the, you know, the strength of humans is good to see the resilience of people, you know, Cambodia certainly will teach you that Vietnam was an amazing place for understanding the resilience of humans. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, you know, how fragile the systems that keep us cooperating with one another can be sometimes. And, and you know, you we brought up empathy a number of times. And I think, you know, that's something that is just so key in, in, gosh, just the future of humanity. Yes, everything. <laughs> Something so small. Yeah, everything. just a, the, that, that small little tiny thing, you know, humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what are some ways, and, and, you know, you've written about and talk a lot about, you know, conflict and, and conflict debt. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and how that might apply to, to uh, empathy and, and leaders. Yeah, so conflict debt is just this idea I coined to try and help people understand that conflict isn't the enemy, conflict debt is the enemy. Um, so letting conflicts pile up, so they um, they poison relationships, they stall progress, right? So this idea, just like we have credit card debt and we understand that credit card debt can really take us under, so can getting in debt on you know a conversation I really should have had, some feedback I should have given, a decision I really needed to make and I've been avoiding it, all those sorts of things. And so the way that I help people through it is, so you'll like this, the section of my book called um, Conflict Strategies for Nice People. <laughs> right. to help them understand that uh, really great and productive conflict is conflict that comes um, as allies. And so empathy is the absolute key to it. So we're going to have tension with one another because we have different roles where we bring different things. We represent or advocate for different stakeholders, right? We, we are obliged to put tension on a discussion, but understanding that that tension uh, is, is valuable, is good, is okay. But empathizing with the fact that and the guy across the table is going to put tension on my perspective because he has different expertise she's representing a different stakeholder there right mm -hmm. there um, fulfilling their obligation to the organization by thinking differently than i'm thinking so we do an exercise where we go around on a team and we help everyone call out okay what what is unique about your role what do you bring that other roles don't bring who are you advocating for? What is the tension you're obliged? And just by creating, and, and I have to tell you, I was I was doing a workshop on this with um, with a very large, uh, well-known high-tech company, mm -hmm. and um, it was with their recruiters from all around the world. And we were having them do this, and we we're saying, okay, you're the recruiter. Now I want you to think about who are the other stakeholders. And so they started talking about the compensation people. And when they were talking about the compensation people, boy, were they not nice. <laughs> because as the recruiters, they're, you know, the, the talent standards at this company are ridiculously high. And so they're scouring the world to find people that live up to these standards. And when they find them, obviously, these people want a lot of money. And the comp people are saying, you can't have that much money. That would... And, and so they have a lot of pent up frustration and uh, a lot of not nice thoughts about these people. So we started doing this exercise. Okay, well, you know, what's your unique value? What do you bring? And they're like, well, we see talent and we see talent and potential in people that, yeah, okay, great. And 
We get all of those kinds of things. Um, you know, what's the tension you need to put on things? Well, we, we need to fight for the absolute best person. Great. Okay. What about the comp people? What's their unique? And the funny thing is it took them quite a while to even be able to answer that question. <laughs> like, what do you mean they bring something to the equation? And we finally, they're like, well, you know, I guess part of what they're doing is they're they're thinking about the internal equity of the pay system. They're trying to make sure pay um, is has a motivating effect on people. And yeah, so who are some of their stakeholders? And, and they said, well, I guess their stakeholders are kind of all the existing employees, because if we, you know, start, you know, giving the farm to these new prospects, the people who've been here since the beginning are going to really, it's going to be really unfair. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So they're, you know, protecting the fairness of the company's systems. And as soon as they could get to there, it was very funny because they were like, yeah. wow, <laughs> we just thought they were jerks. And now you're telling me that they're, you know, protecting all. And so that empathy, yeah. you know, there's still going to be tension between the recruiters and the comp people. And that's a good, healthy tension because we want those recruiters really pushing to get the absolute best people into the organization. And we want the comp people really tugging on that to say, how do we get them? within the framework that allows us to, to feel good and look everyone who's been here for 20 years in the eye and say, you know, you're not being penalized because you got in early. And so conflict coming from a base in empathy actually just feels like problem solving. It doesn't really feel like conflict at all. And that's where miracles happen. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love that. Have that empathy and understand that um, the whole point. So what I talk about is the difference between that kind of conflict I call productive tension. So we're pulling. And if you can imagine pulling. So I, I talk about it with, you know, spreading out a tarp over a tent. So if you imagine, you know, the stakeholders are sleeping inside a tent and you're trying to spread the rain fly uh, and you're trying to everybody's pulling a rope in a different direction, but all with the goal that that tarp gets really tight so that the rain runs off of it so that you get it kind of centered over the tent so that no water gets in and if you can picture that and understand that the tension that you're putting on each of those ropes uh, creates growth it stretches um, your resources it, it creates coverage versus what we normally do which is we engage in conflict as friction and friction uh, wears us down you know, makes us tired, uh, exhausts us, makes the solution less effective. So what we're looking for is to have empathy that allows us to create as much healthy teams, great teams have as much tension as possible and as little friction. And empathy is really the linchpin to all of that. That's brilliant. And I love the the vision of that tent. And I, I'm actually curious <laughs> um, where you see uh, either communication breaking down or where communication can be improved by those who are pulling those ropes from either side of the tent, not realizing that if they were to pull them in, in the correct directions together at the same time, they would accomplish that goal. But instead, if they're not communicating together, they, they could be pulling those ropes in all sorts of different directions, not allowing that tent to, to rise the way it should. Yeah, the communication breaks down in a few places. So one, um, if you think of any given decision as a TARP, um, which is what we do when we do this exercise, it's incredible how often there's nobody who owns the TARP. 
And you're like, right. whose decision is this? Who gets to make the call? Who's watching from above to see that this thing is actually, you know, over the tent as opposed to pulled way off to one side so that everybody on one side is getting wet. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. So there's a huge breakdown in communication when we think that multiple people can own a decision or where we don't take the time to make sure somebody, a single person does own it. That's the first thing. Okay. Then when there's not a lot of feedback, uh, from that leader or from one another to say, hey, you're pulling too hard or you've just yanked on your rope three times and this other person hasn't even budged yet, hasn't, right? And in a conversation, that means you've put your thoughts in three times and there's still three people in the room who haven't spoken for the first time yet. So feedback is another, if we don't have it, hmm. if we don't have the feedback around. The other thing is there's a communication breakdown when we don't understand that there's a lot of different people inside the tent that are going to get wet if we don't do this right. So understanding that your stakeholder is probably not the only stakeholder, you know, even if you think about something like customers, um, somebody will say, well, we're all here for the customer. We're a customer centric co company, right? I'll say that's nice, but you probably each are thinking about completely different customers. So you know, we work with a lot of high tech Silicon Valley companies and some people in the room are really pulling on their rope super hard thinking about the buyer, right? So they're thinking about the tech company that's going to buy their widget. Um, and somebody else is thinking about the user and that person who's going to be using the software or using the hardware. Well, those are completely different perspectives. And what the, the buyer wants versus what the user wants are, are often quite misaligned. Right. And so, you know, even just communicating about different stakeholders and how their stake is different. So there's just so many opportunities where once we communicate better about who's in the tent, like what, what's our purpose here? What are we trying to do? Who, who owns the tarp? Who gets to make the call? Um, what's each of our roles and, and what rope are we pulling on? Are we each pulling about the right amount? And then you can get into more sophisticated ideas like, you know, is there communication about, you know, when the winds change? You know, are we hearing about, okay, well, there's a certain thing that's changing in the environment that we means we need to like move the tarp. <laughs> it means that, <laughs> you know, we need some perspectives here to pull a little harder and we're going to compromise and, and leave some slack on a couple of these things knowingly because right now we can't prioritize that. So you can use the concept and the exercise to get to some pretty sophisticated things. But at the base level, just this empathy of understanding that no one else is pulling the same rope as me and me pulling my rope harder and harder cannot make a better decision. Only by kind of optimizing, getting similar tension on each of these different ropes can we, can we make a great call. I love that in uh, You First, uh, one of your books, uh, uh, Inspire Your Team to Grow Up, Get Along and Get Stuff Done. Uh, you talked about this, these pathologies. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. those? I, I love like um, <laughs> the, na the name of Bleeding Back Teams, I thought was just brilliant. I, I, I love that one specifically, but they're all really good. Uh, can you talk My a little favorite... bit about those? Yeah, my favorite thing in you first was at the time Mac was taking art classes and uh, her art teacher was a former Disney animator. Whoa, so wow. super talented. Nice. And, yeah. yeah. And so I just said, you know, hey, any chance you're willing to do some illustrations for my book? And so she, all the illustrations in the book are custom and done by her. That's great. And that bleeding back one is so awesome because it's, it's a person walking away from another person at a water cooler and the person has a bunch of knives in their back. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my favorite thing is just because Peggy and I were having fun and being cheeky about it, in each of the illustrations, there's one of those motivational teamwork posters on the wall. 
So I think that <laughs> that particular one, I think there's like the rowers or something on the wall, which is, you know, you don't notice it the first time around, but then you see it and you're like, aha, uh-huh, because of course that's, that's what happens, right? We, we put all this great, you know, rowers and, and teamwork posters on the wall and then we stab each other in the back. So leading <laughs> back team is um, and it's a fitting one that you ask about as two Canadians talking to one another, because um, that's the kind of team that the pathology is really about passive aggressiveness. And so the <laughs> the knife is in the back, not the front. And uh, and so much uh, when we get into conflict debt, it, it's often because we are passive aggressive about things. So we gossip about it. We whisper about it. We hold grudges. We resent. Uh, and yet we don't ever bring the issue into the open where the person could actually do something differently or make mm. it better. So that bleeding back team is, and in Canada, what I've surveyed um, in Canada and the U.S. and in Canada, that's the most common toxic team and a, and a big, big problem. And again, we go back to this nice issue. And part of it is that people misinterpret what nice means. And so they get that sort of grandma, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Uh-huh. And so they won't say it to people's faces. But the the grudge hangs on and so they tend to get very passive aggressive so yeah that's that's one of my when i say favorite toxic teams um of course i mean least favorite but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's sure common around here that's amazing and, yeah and, and minnesota the minnesota uh, they call it minnesota nice and, right uh, it's, a, it's a very similar phenomenon that's funny it's a, it's similar in the south to um there is a line that perhaps you've heard in the south that is is especially said by more women than men which is uh bless her heart <laughs> that's a great <laughs> passive aggressive line <laughs> in canada our word is um interesting yeah interesting when we totally disagree right we're like interesting <laughs> we're like you're full of crap or you know what the hell are you thinking and um, that we use interesting for that so i wish people i, I love knew that yeah yeah no i was gonna say i wish people here had said interesting when i moved here like 13 years ago because i would have understood Uh, (laughs) otherwise instead i think i had my heart blessed like hundreds of times before i was like oh Oh. wait a minute and then you start thinking like who was blessing my heart oh man Yeah, it's funny how we have all these euphemisms for, and that's conflict debt, right? Yeah. It's uh, we have these euphemisms instead of actually telling you what would be very mm-hmm. kind for someone to tell you. Okay, just so you know, in Nashville, this is how we do it. <laughs> and like, yeah. That one person who took you aside and and was kind enough to tell you that is probably someone you trust till your dying day, right? <laughs> they were willing to do that for you for sure for sure okay so let's do let's do uh some some i want to be respectful of your time here so i want to do some lightning round cre- okay. questions are and you ready lightning round. no stress yeah. no, well, no, maybe, no I'll pressure try. i'll try to be nice <laughs> as they say okay so who is someone that was especially nice to you in your career a mentor that uh named terry who i met my very first day of work as a grown-up and um and she just she was so nice and kind and everything else, all the good things, um, because she was, I don't even know how much older than me she is. Uh, mm. She's 20 years for sure older than me, I think. And um, she just believed in me from the get-go. And anytime anybody kind of looked at me like I was young and who was I to be in this situation, she would just say something that showed them that she had complete confidence in me and therefore they should too. And uh, wow, you don't get something more valuable in life than somebody who just loans you their credibility. 
That's brilliant. And nice makers listening, make sure that you uh, you consider that for yourself. Maybe you could be that yeah. person to support uh, that that uh, newbie on your team. All right. Uh, complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. Mm, nice guys and gals finish what matters. <laughs> and Ooh, I think there's I like some, that. right? The, it's like, it's not finishing for the sake of finishing. It's, it's finishing the things that matter and letting go of the things that don't. And I think, um, I think nice makers know the difference. I love that. What's a nice book you recommend to uh, nice makers listening? Oh, a nice book. Um, well, you mentioned Brene Brown earlier. I'm, I'm like the ultimate fangirl of <laughs> Brene Brown. <laughs> so dare to lead or things like that. Um, yeah. you know, I really, um, I just, I think her work is so profound and so important. And given that my book is not nice at all, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't qualify. So I'm going to go with Brene Brown. It's interesting with Brene Brown too, because, um, is it the fact that she is just so um, sincere and, and honest in how she shares what she learns and that she, and, and writes for anyone to, to really consume and understand, but that also she does, I mean, a lot of the research as well. Yeah, I think that's it. She is this totally rare incredible thing I'm constantly trying to emulate, which is like razor smart, um, definitely um, schooled in, in evidence and curious and, and always trying to understand what's true, plus completely willing to be vulnerable, plus hilarious, plus, right? Like, yeah. Oh, God, to just be one tenth of her awesomeness. Yeah. yeah. She's a wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right about that. <laughs> All right. How is Leanne nice to herself? Oh, okay. That's a good one. I'm, I'm working really, really, really hard on that. Uh -huh. So, uh, I, um, I've taken up bullet journaling for the last couple of years hmm. and bullet journaling is the nicest thing. So Leanne's biggest problem is I, um, I get uh, a noisy mind and my noisy mind is not always nice. And so learning, taking up bullet journaling and learning how to create um, a receptacle for the thoughts rushing around in my brain so that they quiet down a bit and, um, and then using that space to um, you know, be more mindful and, and learning meditation and things like that. So I would say of all the habits, um, bullet journaling has been the nicest thing I've ever done for myself. That's great. And actually, I was going to ask you, and you brought that up with uh, with meditation and mindfulness. Is that something that you're practicing? Something you've been dabbling with, or or what are your yeah? So are? I I've been dabbling with it for a little while, and mm -hmm. so starting um, uh, just the end of 2020, I've been doing it daily and really working on it. And um, you know, part of that is just sort of being a 48, 49 year old female. And just like the hormones are really ridiculous. And I just all of a sudden I'll start crying and I'm like, what am I crying for? <laughs> and so it's been super important as a way to say, I don't want to take drugs. I don't want to, like, I want to first try to teach myself how to be more mindful of where I'm at, to 
um, to not judge these kinds of feelings or hormones or things that are happening to me, but learn how to kind of let them just let them pass through and be like, hmm, fascinating. I'm crying at the dinner table. Look at that. And then like, let it go by. So um, it, yeah, it's been something that I'm getting more serious about um, because I do think I need to be nice to myself in that way. And mm -hmm. that um, I am seeing some really good benefits of it. Yeah. I've been doing it for about a year and, uh, and yeah. I, how's it working? What are you finding? It's great. I use uh, Sam Harris's app waking up. Okay. Um, and I had this revelation at one point because I was, uh, kind of early on, I, I was doing one of his exercises and he said, um, he said that, uh, instead of like, it was early on, but it was instead of like, cause things are going to come in your head as you're trying to meditate. It, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a given and you can be like the best meditator in the world and it's still going to happen. Um, yeah. right. So that's, that's okay. But, um, I would get frustrated with myself and, and I would quit or whatever. And what I learned in doing it, and I had this sort of revelation is that, no, 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 you're supposed to play it out, like play that scene yeah. out in your head. And once, and so I started accepting these scenarios or situations or whatever these ideas were that were, I was daydreaming about or were popping into my head and I would just let them play out. And as soon as they played out, they would end. And, yeah, and, exactly. And I was like, oh, they do like they end. Just give it a couple minutes uh, or 30 seconds and that little scenario is going to end. And then you can just get back to like focusing on whatever. And it, it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so good. I found um, Netflix has just released a um, the Headspace guys have yeah. uh, done a Netflix series and it's really accessible and good for getting started. So if anybody's thinking, hmm, maybe I'll try this out. Um, that's another great way if you have a Netflix subscription to check out the Headspace series. Um, it's really good. Yeah, I've been, I've been meaning to look at that. And by the way, I, I, yeah, as sure. far as as far as the hormones go, I'm, I'm 48 and uh, and I, I like uh, Mark Maron. Uh, I like a lot of comedy, but I like Mark Maron stuff. And I remember Mark Maron was talking once on his podcast, uh, WTF, and he'd mentioned, yeah. and he's, uh, he's just, I think he's just over 50 few years maybe over 50 but at the time he said like as soon as he turned 45 or something he was like watching a cottonelle ad and the kittens <laughs> he started weeping <laughs> at the cute little kittens <laughs> and i remember laughing my head off going oh my god i'm the same way like i'll be watching something and i'll suddenly find like i'm weeping i'm like what the hell like my wife heather will look at me like it's whoa why are you bizarre. so emotional um <laughs> Yeah, I'm even getting a little weepy uh, confessing yeah. myself. Yeah, funny. I know, I know. But you know what? That to me, that's where we're at. And talk about nice, right? right. Nice yeah. makers make space for humanity, for what's real. It's like, yeah, for me, it's not Cottonelle. This is even more stupid because I am not a sports kind of person. Uh -huh. But I find, I, I think men desperately need these emotional outlets as much as women and so if you watch any major league sports broadcast it's worse than a hallmark christmas special like they are so <laughs> sappy and i find when i watch sports i cry i'm like why are you you don't even like this sport you like you don't know these people what but i'll cry so you know whatever whether it's cotton ad or I don't know, the Super Bowl, whatever it is, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we're humans. It's how we're wired. It's okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. Last question. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Oh, uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
Ooh, I like that. That's great. Leanne, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about all of your amazing work, your books, your presentations, your consulting and coaching? The easiest way, and hopefully we can put a link in the notes because oh, it, it's easy except for the spelling. So leannedavy.com, which both of those names are hard to spell because it's Leanne with an I, not not the Tennessee version, but L-I-A-N-E <laughs> and D-A-V-E-Y. So leannedavy.com and you'll see there's about 500 articles on the blog there you can search around how do i deal with my insecure boss or how you know there's there's many 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 searchable and um the link on there comes right into my email inbox if anybody has any questions that's wonderful well thank you for being here and thank you uh for (laughs) always being nice oh well this was very nice and i thank you so much dave thanks for listening to the nice podcast Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Maker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice.